You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. Hello and welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. First up, I'd like to thank Rick Hunter for my intro and outro music, and Chris Begarn for all of our lovely art. We just wrapped up our Mars Attack stories, so that means we're into a little buffer before we get into the next big story. And as we talked about, I'm going to use short horror stories from the pre-code era of comics as a fun thing to do. Now, the last time we did this was back in episode 7. In it, I break down the history of the pre-code era of comics and then creation and eventual end of EC Comics, which, of course, came about after the induction of the Comics Code. So if you want to hear all about Bill Gaines and Senator Kefauver and Dr. Frederick Wortham and all the insanity of the comic book burnings and seduction of the innocent and juvenile delinquency and such, go back and listen to it. If you want to get a lot of righteous indignation to a lot of puritanical, imperialist, racist attitudes and bullshit like that, that gripped the comic book industry for a while. I also mentioned that beyond Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics was publishing a lot of other books. Two others that I mentioned for sure were The Vault of Horror and The Haunt of Fear. Now, Tales from the Crypt had a movie and a very popular HBO series that itself spawned two movies. And a cartoon series, so The Crypt Keeper is rightfully very famous. I should also point out that The Vault of Horror also had a movie in the 70s, 1973, I think. But my point is is that for most people, it starts and ends with The Crypt Keeper. But there were more horror hosts in EC Comics, The Vault Keeper and The Old Witch. And today we're going to be focusing at first with a story introduced by The Old Witch. The character is now far less famous, but arguably was the most visible back when the books were being originally published. I get asked sometimes from people who are interested, especially after I did episode 7 and we started talking about EC Comics and Tales from the Crypt, what was the difference between Vault of Horror and Haunt of Fear? Honestly and truly, what I tell you, and I'll tell you all now, is there isn't one. There's really not that much of a difference. All three books and Tales from Suspense and some of the other crime comics were pretty interchangeable. What added to the confusion was the fact that Every issue of all three books had all three characters hosting a book. Uh, so, for example, Tales from the Crypt would have two Crypt Keeper stories, a Vault Keeper story, and an Old Witch story, where she would host from the Witch's Cauldron. And if it was a Haunt of Fear book, it would have two from the Old Witch and one of each of the others, so on and so forth. And the hosts were all rivals. And would insult each other and try to one-up each other on how scary their stories were. It was all pretty fantastic, pretty comedic, and tons of horror puns, which you guys know I'm a huge fan of. And they called themselves the Ghoul Lunatics. I never really knew if it's supposed to be Ghoul Lunatics or Ghoulatics. 
or whatever, but there's two L's in it, so I think it's just ghoul lunatics. But I also like ghoul lunatics too. Visually, as we talked about, the Crypt Keeper looked a lot different from how everyone is familiar with what the Crypt Keeper looks like from HBO. It was less cadaverous. He looked more like an old, fucked-up dude with stringy white hair. He didn't look like a corpse that the Crypt Keeper from HBO looked like. The Vault Keeper really just looked like the Crypt Keeper, except that his mouth was gooier. Like, he's got a lot of saliva, stringy saliva in his mouth, and his hood is typically green, whereas the Crypt Keeper doesn't wear a hood, and and his robes are red, and the old witch looks the most drastically different because she's this haggard old crone with a bulging eye and long bent nose and pointy chin, kind of a stereotypical witch sans the hat. And the old witch herself, not surprisingly, was lifted right from old horror radio plays. If you guys remember from episode 7, I had mentioned that Bill Gaines and his colleague and editor Al Feldstein came up with these horror books from remembering growing up on horror stories on the radio. And there was one called The Witch's Tale that was hosted by this witch called Old Nancy. She would intro the stuff and then they would tell the stories individually every week. You can actually find entire episodes of The Witch's Tale on YouTube. So if you're interested in radio from the 30s, which personally I am, so it's really cool that all these things are available to us to listen to at any given time. But check them out. It's really, really fascinating stuff. And I find it very easy to listen to. Uh, As I've mentioned before, my background is in radio. And when I was told by my professors that I should really be listening to old radio to understand where we all come from, I really gravitated towards old radio plays. I found them really nice and fun to listen to and kind of timeless at the same time. And it's not always easy to go back and listen to old music, but sometimes old stories can be a little bit more universal, I find. And of course, since I was such a horror nut anyways, the idea of listening to old horror stories was really, really cool to me. So you guys should definitely check that out. Anyways, we're still going to be reading Volume 2 of Tales from the Crypt, because that's the volume that I actually own. And I've picked out a story introduced by the Old Witch. Now, as I've mentioned in the previous episode where we did Tales from the Crypt, sometimes because of the age of these books, the writers and artists can be a little dodgy. But for this story, we got them both, so that's good news. The story is called Last Respects, written by Al Feldstein. Art by Graham Ingalls. <laughs> yes, it's me again, the old witch, mistress of the haunt of fear. I've been waiting for you. See, the fire of my cauldron is leaping higher and higher. My evil brew is steaming and bubbling. So come in. Come in and gaze into the swirling, boiling contents of my cauldron. Gaze deep, and soon you'll see a gripping, terrifying tale unfold. A tale I call Last Respects. That's my uh, Maria Ospenskaya. We see a man in a green suit, his arms slumped by his side one shoulder higher than the other. His eyes are hollow, sunken in, just white dots looking at a gravestone with a large cross on top of it. He walks into a cemetery. 
The rusty hinges squealed a horrifying protest as he pushed the cemetery gate open. Overhead, a cold moon cast green shadows on the mounds before the gray headstones. The man weakly says, I- I'm coming, Anna. I'm coming. We see this man, brown disheveled hair, a look of shock on his face as he looks through the iron gates of the cemetery. The narration kicks in. He stood for a moment, hesitating before the yawning opening in the iron fence, then moved through. Where are you, Anna? Which way? We now see this man running through the tombstones. He runs past a large crypt. He's holding in his hands a brown paper bag. The caption reads, Up the grass-carpeted path, past the graves of those long dead. The man, Anthony Colton, stumbled. In his hands, he clutched a paper bag. Every so often, he stopped and looked about, searching, searching. Help me, Anna. I don't know my way. Guide me, Anna. Guide me to your grave. We see the silhouettes of twisted, gnarled branches bending in the wind, he stands before a large stone mausoleum. He's obscured by the moonlight in total silhouette, as well as the surrounding gravestones. Suddenly, he saw it standing, cold and still in the white moonlight. The mausoleum. It rose above the gravestones like a skyscraper rises above the sprawling tenements of a great city. Majestic, imposing, contemptuous. That mausoleum, perhaps? He steps to the mausoleum, and upon closer inspection, above the door is carved the name Cooper. Anna had come from a rich family. Anthony edged closer. Then he saw it. The letters cut deep and dark in the gleaming marble over the doorway. Cooper. Cooper. This must be it. This must be it. We see Anthony now hunched over staring into the brown paper bag. He's shoving the mausoleum door with his shoulder. Anthony breathed a silent prayer as he approached the huge metal door. Suppose it should be locked. He closed his eyes and leaned against it. Open. Oh, thank God it's open. We see Anthony opening the door, looking into the long darkness of the mausoleum. The door swung silently, the hinges had been well-oiled to prevent squeaks from intruding upon the solemnity of the recent funeral. Anthony stepped in. The casket stood in the center of the floor, silent, still. Anthony gasped, then threw himself, prostrate upon it, and wept, quietly, pitifully. We do see Anthony here, draped over this casket his cheek resting against the lid, one arm so far stretched over that it dangles on the opposite side. Anthony now, with a tired look and a weak smile, finally fishes out the bag and starts rifling through it. After a while, the hoarse sobbing stopped. He stood up and opened the paper bag. The sharp crackle of the paper echoed from the windowless walls in an abnormal volume. I... I brought it, Anna. I brought it for you to sleep with. Forever. We see what he was holding in that bag. It looks like a small stuffed toy, some kind of an animal. 
It has an orange bow tie around its neck. Almost looks like a shrew or a mouse or something with almost like a domino mask across its eyes. The caption reads, It was one of those furry little animals that they give away at amusement parks when you knock over the stack of bruised wooden bottles. Anthony brushed it against his face for a moment, then laid it reverently upon the coffin lid. Here it is, Anna. Here. Anthony shook his head, then tried the lid. It was sealed closed. He sighed. It's no good this way, Anna. You can't feel it out here. We see that Anthony has rested the small toy on top of the coffin for now. He looks sad. His hair droops around his face. We now see a flashback of a happy young couple at the carnival. It's Anthony and Anna. Anna, a redhead with a pink dress with a matching sun hat. Anthony in a black suit. The caption reads, Anthony gazed down at the casket with the furry mound lying on the lid. He stared into the black wood of the studded box from far away. The music drifted to him. Happy music. Laughter. A merry-go-round. Going round and round and round. Anna says, Tony, let's ride it. Sure, Anna, sure. Come on. Those stolen hours of happiness. That day at the amusement park when he won Anna that furry little thing. We see the happy couple, Anthony with his arm around Anna. They look at each other adoringly. Next to them, a bald carnival barker with a bow tie and suspenders and a big cigar hanging out of his mouth hands them the stuffed toy that Anthony would later rest on Anna's casket. Oh, Tony. Tony, you did it. You did it. Just for you, Anna. Just for you. Here you are, Deadeye. Here's your prize. We now see the couple driving away. Anna has her eyes closed and is resting on Anthony's shoulder. Then the music faded away, and the sound of the car motor replaced it. The hum of the twelve cylinders. Don't you think you had better get back, Anna? We're getting close to the house. Oh, Tony, darling. Why does it have to end? Why? And then the motor stopped. Anna got out of the front seat of the impressive limousine, and Tony opened the rear door for her. Then, he put on the brass button chauffeur's coat and the patent leather-peaked cap. We see the two standing outside of the limousine, Tony clearly, Anna's chauffeur. The two stand in silhouette. Anna asks, When can we do this again, Tony? When? The car is always at your disposal, Miss Anna. So we have ourselves some star-crossed lovers, divided by class. Anna looks up at Tony, pained. Oh, Tony, don't joke with me. Kiss me, my darling. Tell your wife you love her. I love you, Anna. More than just lovers. Married. We have an exterior of the mausoleum. A leaf blows by as violent wind and rain rages on. The caption continues. He stood there, staring at the casket. Outside, a clap of thunder exploded. The mausoleum door slammed with the sudden gust of hot wind. The rain began falling. It's raining, Anna. Raining like that night. That night you came to my room above the garage. We're back in the past now. Anthony, holding a book, looks at an open doorway as Anna rushes in, holding her head. She looks upset. Anna, what are you doing here? I can't stand it any longer, Tony. We've got to tell my uncle. An exterior shot of the house. It's night. 
and a violent storm rages on. Don't be foolish, Anna. You know what would happen. He'd disown you. Cut you off without a cent. I don't care. I don't care. Now Anthony looking to her with a pipe in his mouth. Anna looks away, tears streaming down her face. You're forgetting one thing, Anna. You're underage. He can annul the marriage. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Uh, things have gotten scandalous. Not only are they divided by class, but she's underage. That was the olden days. You know how it is, right? Right, everybody? Right? <laughs> yes, it rained that night, but Anna and Tony didn't care. They were together. Stolen moments of happiness. This is a beautiful panel of the two. The shot is from outside of the window, and the rain is streaming down the window and is distorting these two silhouettes of this couple looking at each other. It, it, it really is quite remarkable. You've got to go, Anna. Your uncle will be looking for you. Just one more kiss, my darling. One more kiss, and then she left. She hurried across the sopping grounds, her flimsy dress clinging to her skin, rain-soaked, and when she opened the door. We see Anna walking to the door of her mansion. She is indeed soaking wet, and her dress is clinging to her skin, her hair draped around her face. A miserly old man, balding, with a cane, hunchbacked, old, twisted, thin fingers pointing an accusing hand at her. It's pretty much the stage. He's like an Ebenezer Scrooge type guy. Where were you? Where were you? I... I took a walk, Uncle. I got caught in the rain. We now see a better shot of this old timer. He's not only has pointy eyebrows and a long nose, long chin, he's also missing quite a few teeth. He's got a cruel frown on his face. The caption reads, He stood before Anna, there in that drafty mansion. He accused her, insulted her. Don't lie to me. It's been raining for hours. I saw you come across the lawn. You've been to the garage. To him, I know. I've seen the way he looks at you. Don't think I'm blind. Don't think I don't know you've been carrying on. Uncle, stop it. Stop it. I can't stand your evil insinuations. If you must know, we're married. Anna's leaned in, telling her uncle this. Her uncle looks completely shocked, surprised, horrified. The background is bright orange with black crescents over the top of it. What? Married? To that? That? I don't care what you say. I love him. That's all that matters. We see Anna now clenching her fist, leaning forward. She's standing her ground. Her uncle shakes a miserly fist at her outraged at this revelation. Silly fool, I'll have the marriage annulled. I won't let you throw your life away. She was in bed the next day. Pneumonia. Anthony came to see her. We see Anthony at the front door, and Anna's uncle is greeting him, or more accurately, telling him to fuck right off. Go away. You're not wanted here. But I'm her husband, Mr. Cooper. A shock of Anthony's face and the back of Anna's uncle's head as he tells Anthony the truth of what he's planning to do. You won't be for long. I've started annulment proceedings. She's underage. Please, let me see her. I love her. 
Don't you understand? We now see Anthony standing with a man with a doctor's bag, a long blue trench coat, and a fedora. Likely a doctor, and we'll find out that he is. He turned Tony away. The doctor came, and Tony stopped him as he was leaving. How is she, doctor? She's failing, Tony. Doesn't seem to want to live. While inside, we see Anna weakly lying in bed. As her uncle hovers over her, Anna weakly says, Tony, I want Tony. Her uncle replies, No, no, you're finished with him. Finished! We're now back to the present. Tony, looking down at Anna's casket, sobbing. The caption reads, And so she died. Up to the end, her uncle had refused to let Tony see her. The funeral had been held that afternoon. Tony had not been allowed to attend. But now, he was here. Yes, Anna, I'm here. And everything is all right now. I've just killed him. I've just killed your uncle. From somewhere, a stream of water ran down the stone wall of the mausoleum, down the wall, onto the cold floor, and under the casket. Anthony thinks to himself, the rain coming in. We see him looking down at a stream of water pooling around the casket. The toy he won Anna from the carnival, still sitting atop the coffin. Tony turned to go. It was over. Finished. Now he was going away. The old man was dead. Anna's death had been revenged. Goodbye, Anna. Someday I'll come back. Someday. Anthony holds a hand to his chest, the carnival toy in the foreground. He seems to be making this solemn vow to himself. We now see Tony trying to tug and pull at the mausoleum door. The caption reads, He tugged at the huge mausoleum door. It did not move. It was, Tony interjects the caption, Locked. Good lord, how will I get out of here? Tony pulled and wrenched at the door. It was no use. Someone would have to come and open it from the other side. Tony now, yarding on the door as hard as he possibly can, looks panicked, terrified. Help me. Help me, somebody. Let me out. Tony, looking desperate, leans against the mausoleum door, hiding his face, begging. A clap of thunder was the only reply. Tony hammered at the metal door until his fists were raw and blood oozed from them. He says to himself, I'll, I'll starve to death. Please, God, someone. An exterior shot of the mausoleum. The storm is still raging. It's the dead of night. The caption reads, The rain fell incessantly. It formed little rivers that ran off between the headstones inside the mausoleum. A steady sobbing echoed the falling of the raindrops. An exterior shot again of the mausoleum. The storm was over and the day has broken. The night passed and the day dawned. And the day passed. And no one came to that part of the cemetery. So no one heard the knocking. The calling from the mausoleum. We have an exterior shot now. Night. In silhouette, a man running for his life as his hat blows away. A week went by, and every day the knocking, the hammering continued. But no one heard, except a frightened tramp one evening at twilight who ran off, terrified. The week stretched to two weeks. The pounding was becoming fainter now, but Tony was still alive. Then, almost a month later, the beating and the calling stopped. The day following Tony's death, 
after having been locked in the mausoleum for almost a month, they found him. The engraver was delivering the plaque for Anna's coffin, and when they swung open the massive metal door, we see the graver, and we see a person who, at the very least, is dressed as the doctor that Tony spoke to in his flashback. In the foreground, we see the outstretched arm of Tony. We can tell because it's still wearing the green jacket he was wearing. It's twisted and frozen. A third man, obscured by all the captions, is wearing a gray suit. The doctor says, Good lord, look, a dead man. The graver says, It's that chauffeur of theirs, the one they've been looking for. The man in gray says, He's only been dead a day or so. We see in the foreground of this panel, Tony's face, his eyes wide open, his mouth agape. He looks thin and shocked, horrified even. The man in gray says, What's this around him? Bones! The doctor looks into the casket. Hey, this coffin's been pried open. The guy must have been trapped in here. He stayed alive by catching water in this urn. The doctor says, and eating. Oh, God, no. The two men stand outside the mausoleum, now discussing what has just transpired. The caption reads, They took Tony away. They put the white, picked clean bones back into the coffin and sealed it up again. Then... They closed the mausoleum. Man says, I don't understand if he had water and uh, food. How come he died? The graver says, the formaldehyde, embalming fluid, it poisoned him. And now interjecting is the old witch. Eh, 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 that's my story, dear readers. Tony, Anna, the cruel old uncle. They're all dead now. Each one killed the other, you might say. Anyway, it was a meaty little tale, wasn't it? I hope you didn't dare uh, choke up at the sad ending. Well, if your stomach stopped doing flip-flops, I'll turn you over to the Crypt Keeper. He has another tale for you to chew on. Bye now. See you later with another pot of putrescence. This is the kind of storytelling that they were telling, and I mean one of the cool things about this is it's fucking dark as shit. A guy locked in a mausoleum with his dead lover and in order to stay alive he eats her corpse. I think it's fucking ballsy ass storytelling and I really loved it and I hope you guys loved it too. That is going to do it for us today. Remember that we are going to be restarting a brand new story. I haven't really decided yet, so I'm going to need you guys to jump on Twitter. And you can follow me at WesDeadAirNipe on Twitter. And you can leave me a message about what sort of horror stories you would like me to read to you guys. As always, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next week. I am Wes DeadAirNipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.